The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Naveen Rao, who's the Corporate Vice President and General Manager of Artificial Intelligence Products Group at Intel. Hi, Naveen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, welcome, Naveen, and thanks for joining us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your role at Intel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Naveen Rao. You know, I have a little bit of a circuitous background when it comes to the AI space. I guess I was kind of doing AI before it was really cool and became AI as it is today. I spent about 10 years or so in industry as a computer architect and, you know, chip designer, doing various aspects of chip design and software development. And, you know, I always had an interest in how biology looked at computation. And so even as an undergrad, and, you know, I after 10 years in industry, I decided to go back to school and get a PhD in computational neuroscience to really kind of go after that space. And as you may know, many of the roots of our current generation of AI and neural networks are in neuroscience and computational neuroscience. So really, it was about understanding what we know about how brains work and seeing if we can bring that back into technology and sort of utilize some of those concepts to build new computers. After finishing grad school and a postdoc and things like that, I actually founded a company called Nirvana, uh, along with a couple of other neuroscientists, which was about exactly this, bringing novel concepts that we've uncovered from brain computation, combined with you know the computer science and applied math side of things from deep learning, and actually building a new hardware substrate and platform to make this field go faster and do more with it. And about three years ago, almost to the day, actually, we were acquired by Intel. And from there, the whole neural network processor and AI products group was born as part of Intel. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, not a lot of the founders of AI companies have a computational, neurological, computational background. And I think that's very informative. We have a lot of folks in from data science and data analytics and that sort of stuff. But coming at it from understanding like the computational circuitry of the brain basically is particularly powerful, especially since we're trying to get these systems to function like the brain. And, you know, right. I, and for many folks who are of our listeners who are working on AI projects, a lot of which are very narrow applications of AI. We haven't quite yet figured out AGI yet, as you're sure quite aware. They're really focused on training their models to do very specific things. And of course, training is one of those time and resource intensive processes. So, you know, how have you seen, you know, training and the training tools and the technologies and the methodologies evolve over the past few years to help teams more quickly train and deploy their AI models? Well, I think there's just been a maturity that's come to the tools that are available. Just four or five years ago, there were really no tools. You really had to grow these things yourself. And some of the early people in this field really understood how to write and optimize low-level software. And that's actually what made some of these things possible. Because to train a neural network or any machine learning system, you have to iterate over data many, many times. And making that fast is very important because, you know, at that time, it could take a month or two to train a very basic neural network. And, you know, a month or two is a long time, especially for engineering time, to wait for an answer to come back. So making these things faster, you know, 2x faster can get it from four weeks to two weeks. That's a big deal. And that's really what enabled this to happen. If we hadn't had that expertise applied to neural networks to make things faster, it would have taken a year to train some of these neural networks, which is really just not tenable. So I think that's what I've seen in the last few years. But in addition to that, I think there's been a mindset shift that's happened in that 
computing is really not about the sequential operations that underlie certain applications anymore, but it's really about how can I do the most in parallel to actually find, you know, structure within data. That's really what deep learning and machine learning is about. And learn from that continuously as I have larger and larger data sets to make some kind of new application or some kind of capability possible. You know, natural language processing is a big deal these days. Speech processing and image processing have been kind of at the forefront of AI for a long time. And a lot of that wasn't even possible until we had these capabilities from those homegrown tools, which then matured. So now it's actually gotten to a point where someone doesn't need a PhD in computational neuroscience or computer science or something like that to be able to make these things work. You can actually take off-the-shelf open-source tools, build and iterate your own neural network on your data, and actually go and deploy it. Yeah, it's incredible the speed at which we have progressed. We hope you're enjoying this podcast and sorry for the brief interruption. Cognolytica not only produces the AI podcast that you're listening to right now, but we also generate research and advisory to help companies make sense of AI and cognitive technologies. We also run the most authoritative vendor-neutral AI and machine learning training and certification on the market. If you're looking to make AI a reality for your organization, our three-day Cognolytica training is for you. If you're interested in attending, you can find pricing and registration on our website at Cognolytica.com. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. We've met many of our podcast listeners in our classes, and we hope that we'll see you there as well. Now back to the podcast. We have progressed in just the past few years. And to think about, you know, how Alexa has only been around for five years, it feels like it's been around for a lot longer. So it's just interesting how fast it moves and how it doesn't feel that way. So deep learning neural networks continue to be a popular algorithm, but they're very data and resource hungry. So how have you seen companies evolving to allow this to become a more approachable solution for all? Well, I think there's two aspects to this. One is understanding what advantages neural networks bring and how that can be leveraged by companies you know, to make their bottom line better or to drive new experiences to their customers. Then the other side of that is once companies understand, hey, there's a lot I can gain from using these things, it's upon us, the technology providers, to actually build the right tools and capabilities within our product offerings to make it fast and easy. So, you know, in the time that I've been, we founded Nirvana since it was about five years ago to today, I mean, I think we have at least at least a hundred x increase in speed of training a neural network. I mean, five years ago, hundred x is quite incredible yeah. on anything. So I think what we've seen is that the the computing market has understood, wait, this is actually our next big thing. And we have to build engineering solutions to fill that demand. Companies like Google actually understood this very early, and that's why they invested in things like the TPU. The rest of the industry took a little while longer to understand that and catch up. You know, the GPU had a little bit of a happy accident here because they were looking for more data parallel problems. Turns out that you can actually port neural networks to a GPU architecture as a first rev and get something that's quite a bit improved over some of the existing hardware offerings at the time. So I think all of a sudden the industry is like, wait, we can actually build solutions specific to AI and do even better. And that's kind of where where we're at the precipice of right now. Yeah. And I think that's very important because, you know, companies are still experimenting. It's not like companies have a lot of internal knowledge and memory, you know, internal experience building these machine learning models. So they need to iterate on those models continuously. You know, we see hundreds of, of AI implementations and I would say just as many failures as successes, honestly. And a lot of times it comes to like building models that don't work. Of course, you know, garbage in is garbage out, especially with machine learning models. And so it's very important 
to accelerate the time for model development because we need to accelerate the iteration time. So I think that's really very important. And of course, we talk about this from the perspective of training, but of course, just as useful, we need to think about sort of, you know, the machine learning model provides value when it's being used in production and inference, right? So talk to us a little bit about, you know, when AI projects, they move from the training phase, which we have talked about being significantly accelerated to this inference phase, you know, the models need to continue to be managed and maintained. So how are you seeing, you know, companies dealing with sort of the optimization of models and the management and the maintenance of models, you know, when they're in that inference phase? And how are you seeing that being continue succeeding or failing, you know, companies using doing it that way? Yeah, you know, this has been an interesting topic that uh, I've seen evolve over the last several years as well. The large players, you know, like a Facebook or a Google or, or somebody like that, are really, you know, they have the resources to go and do these things manually. So what they would really do is have data scientists who iterate and build models and solve a problem and then say, okay, here's my model definition. Infrastructure team, go and, you know, scale this out or, or deploy it. And that process of taking that model and then figuring out how to map it to a scalable infrastructure was an entire effort, a huge team in and of itself to port that model to some kind of architecture they could, you know, operate at a low power or whatever power envelope they had for their infrastructure and make it work in their sort of scaled out deployed infrastructure. And it was a pretty big effort, like hundreds of people involved to do this. So highly manual, very bespoke and difficult. And, you know, now we're seeing tools come online. Intel is actually bringing several of them out, like things like OpenVINO. It's an open source tool that we have today that we see really good traction on because it's solving this fundamental problem. I have a trained neural network and I want to make it go fast on a particular infrastructure or target platform. And, you know, this basically takes all of that work and makes it into a push button. I can just say, pull my model in from TensorFlow and deploy it out on this thing and it'll work in a, you know, a variety of different environments. And, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more of this happening because that's really kind of addressing a direct pain point that infrastructure guys have. And so we're seeing now even the larger companies automate a lot of this process and make it faster. And what that results in, which I think is a great thing, is that, you know, that the time from seeing that a model isn't as good as it could be to deploying a new model and then feeding all of that back into the training process to build a new model and deploy it again is decreasing. And the effort and money required to iterate upon models and deployment and training is becoming less and less and less. And it's just a really cool trend because I think it's working towards something that we're going to start seeing truly adaptive systems come online in the next few years. Yeah, we're really interested to see where this goes because not many companies have, you know, hundreds of data scientists and people that they can put onto these projects to, you know, work through this all. And a lot of times timing is also a factor. So they just don't have the time to do this. So it's interesting to see where things are going. And artificial intelligence is transformational and it's having the opportunity to make a big impact and a positive impact on society. So how should companies and society think about AI in a way that helps bring about these positive aspects of the technology's future and avoid some of the pitfalls and some of, you know, the negative things that you hear associated with it? Yeah, so I think one of the goals that we had at Nirvana was really to democratize some of these capabilities. So one aspect is not having these tools only in the hands of the elite few was to bring it to everybody else. So by reducing these pain points and making it easier to build, deploy, iterate neural networks across a variety of applications is one part of it. We'll see, you know, just a, a whole ecosystem of solutions to a problem instead of one, right? That's one way that we can be responsible as a society. I think secondly, when a company is looking to build a neural network or an AI solution for their problem, you know, they really need to think through data privacy and security from the start. 
you know, I think I would say we were as an industry a little fast and loose with data sets for some time. And it was really just, you know, we were in that early stage of a new technology. And we're just trying to get stuff to work. And so you just you throw whatever you can at it. And you don't really think about, you know, where that data kind of came from or downstream effects of having intrinsic bias in your model. But now that AI is really and truly becoming a game changer, transformational and ubiquitous, we start seeing that those issues can become really severe. You know, Google had some issues with strange image classifications uh, that they had to take down. I don't think anyone intended for those things to happen, but it was also because they weren't thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Anyone who deploys a solution that relies on personally identifiable information needs to be really, really critical of the way they treat data and how they anonymize, how they treat security, and how that information actually creeps its way into a, a model, into a neural network model. It's no longer data anymore. It's part of a neural network model, but how that could potentially even be recovered from that neural network model by someone malicious. So really thinking about these things up front is extremely important to the proliferation of these capabilities. Yeah, and we've also seen something happen quite recently. You know, we've had a lot of interactions with folks in a variety of different industry sectors. And the finance banking sector is going through an interesting phase right now because there have been a couple of notable privacy issues, violations, and you know, thefts of personal information, disclosures of personal information. And we have this curious uh, trade-off here where at the one hand, you know, they want to build machine learning models to do things like you know, help with loan processing or help with like suggestion or products and product recommendations and you know, all the things that they want to do in the business side. But on the other hand, they need to lock down access to that data because they keep getting themselves into trouble when they say, oh, let's give access to all of our credit card applications to a developer. What could possibly go yep. wrong, right? And of course, you know, <laughs> a lot can go wrong. So it's an interesting, there's like a little tension right now between wanting to grant access to data scientists to build models, but wanting to pull back access because of these very valid compliance, regulation, governance, privacy, you know, security concerns. We haven't quite yet seen how this tension will be resolved. So it's something we're keeping a very close eye on. So this is something actually we've been thinking about as well, because, you know, it's in our best interest. If we can enable these sorts of solutions to happen a little more seamlessly, you know, grease the skids, it really drives demand for what we build. And so we've been thinking about various encryption schemes like homomorphic encryption and multi-party computation, which are two ways to solve a couple of the problems you just mentioned. Homomorphic encryption allows a neural network model to live encrypted in an infrastructure, so you can run it in AWS or Azure, and it's completely encrypted the whole time. Data comes in from the end user, say from a doctor's office or something, is encrypted on the endpoint, sent to the cloud, run on that encrypted model with encrypted data, it's never decrypted, and sent back to the source, the inferences in a decrypted format. And only the originator can decrypt the inferences that are sent back. So solutions like this actually allow things like banking to happen. I don't think we would actually be able to apply AI effectively to banking until we solve Mm -hmm. those encryption problems. Mm -hmm. Multi-party computation actually allows you to train against different data sets without ever sharing the data. So Mm -hmm. the problem you just outlined of having to take data and give it to a central data science team can actually be solved through technology. And I think that's really what's the next level of democratization is, how do we solve these fundamental problems of keeping our data secure and private, yet still bringing online these wonderful capabilities that AI brings? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, one of the, and one of the ironic things, I should say, probably not the best use of term there, of homomorphic encryption is that it's very computationally intensive because it's other forms of math, right, to do, you know, the, the encryption and the decryption. So it's kind of funny how we're, you know, the more that we're trying to enable more of these capabilities that are functionality-based are really about putting more mathematical 
computation back to the machines rather than just you know cranking out more instructions, you know, more procedural. I and mean, it's less about the procedure and more about sort of these mathematical functions, which is intriguing because it, it sort of shifts that computational load a different way, especially when we're trying to do things like homomorphic encryption. It's a very intriguing direction that we're heading to the world of math. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. You know, it's like the cryptographer cryptography world is kind of a strange one, right? People get very excited about these weird transformations and stuff. And, you know, I'm glad we have those people because they figured a lot of this out before any of it was applicable. Right. And now it's actually becoming directly applicable and extremely important. Right, right. Well, we're not going to be talking about elliptic functions on this podcast, <laughs> but I'm sure there's ways you can, you can follow up on that. Oh, Naveen, thank you so much. This has been a great podcast. And as a final note, we'd like to end with what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? So I think AI is a tool that allows you to do things in a different way. I really look at how the internet evolves as a kind of template. And you saw companies that were really able to think about a particular demand stream like retail and how can they apply the internet in a way that was novel and brought a new capabilities that allowed them to completely transform and disrupt those industries like Amazon did. I think that same thing is going to happen in AI in the next several years. So I look at it as like the tools are getting to a maturity. We're actually at a point where enterprises can start leveraging these tools and it's only going to get better. So the next three or four years, it'll be pretty easy to build neural network solutions and deploy them. And it'll be you know straightforward on you go buy you know this infrastructure to do that. It should be pretty clear. And the next thing is really about how do I apply that in a way that transforms and changes the industry to be you know, much more efficient or much higher performing than the old way of doing things. I see this in, you know, various places, farming, like some of the old industries like that, insurance, finance, all these things that we kind of think of as, as stalwarts as like, you know, the basis of our society, I think we can actually do in a much better, efficient way that AI can enable. Yeah, that's that's really important. And we definitely spend a lot of time tracking those end user applications, you know, as deep we can get into the technology and how things work. At the end of the day, it's the impact that this is having on the various industries and the and the end users and making people's lives better because th- that's what the function of technology is. Right. We've invented it as humankind Absolutely. tens of thousands of years ago. We invented that's what technology is for. So Naveen, wanted to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Your insight has been amazing. You're clearly a, a very well-regarded and very deeply aware researcher and it's been working on this space for a while. So your insights are really intense. So we really appreciate you joining us here on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.